0: Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Jeremy, worship today was really popping. I don't know. I don't. Really just, yeah, I mean, that was, that was good. No. <laughs> Thanks for hanging with us, but um, great service. First time I met my wife, Amber, uh, we were 18 and 19-year-old kids. We grew up in the same neighborhood in a small town in middle Tennessee, and we had one mutual friend that I worked with at a grocery store in town. So through her, I got Amber's number, and I got my nerves up and asked her if she would like to go for a walk sometime in our neighborhood together. Very simple, and you know, we did have cell phones back then. There were the flip phones, you know, where you had to push the same number like multiple times to get the right letter. Really terrible. Uh, glad that's not the case. But through that, I, I took my shot, okay? And somehow she said yes. And I remember when the big day came for the walk, I was so nervous. You know, I didn't just have butterflies in my stomach, I had like a swarm of bees in my stomach. I knew this might be my only chance to make a good impression. So I put on some axe body spray, uh, my best American Eagle t shirt my nice cargo shorts, and some Nike shocks. Okay, you remember those? Those were cool at one time. I wanted to be fully prepared to meet this girl who I knew was way out of my league, and somehow, some way by God's grace, it worked. We spent the next two hours walking around our neighborhood talking, mostly me talking a mile a minute because that's what I do when I'm nervous, and she's been graciously listening to me talk ever since. Preparing to meet my future wife was a nerve wracking experience. That's the way it is. When you meet someone important, you want to make a favorable impression. You don't want to mess it up. So you do everything you can to be prepared. With that in mind, how would you prepare to meet God? I'm not just talking about in death, but in general, the the creator of the universe, the infinite, the almighty one. How do you prepare to meet the Lord? That's exactly what we're going to find out in our passage today. If you've been here with us on Sunday mornings, we're spending several months walking through the Old Testament book of Exodus This book centers around a group of people called the Israelites. Uh, They are a people who descended from a man named Abraham who God made a special special covenant with. He promised to be their God and for them to be his people. And after spending 400 years in slavery, God raised up a deliverer named Moses. Through Moses, God freed his people, led them out, and on the way, he miraculously parted the Red Sea so the people passed through. On dry ground, And we established that at that exact moment, them coming through the Red Sea, that defined them as a nation. Their redemption became the source of their identity and it marked them as God's chosen people. From the Red Sea, the people began their trek to Mount Sinai. This is the place where the people would meet their God and worship him. But first, they needed to prepare for this significant event moment, which we'll see today. So let's walk through our text together, and we'll break it all down. Look with me at Exodus chapter 19, start with verses 1 through 9. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. Let's think first this morning about this place, Mount Sinai. This is the most significant location in the entire book of Exodus, one of the most significant in the whole Bible. In fact, we will spend the rest of this book right here at this mountain. This is the same place where Moses first encountered God in the burning bush. And here we have a fulfillment of God's promise that when they got out of Egypt, he would bring them back to this place. What we'll see in the rest of Exodus is that Moses will go up and down this mountain many times. He will speak with God, then he'll come down and tell the people. He will speak with God, then he'll come down and tell the people. And otherwise, Moses was a very fit guy. All right? He got a lot of exercise. Just in this chapter, he will go up and down three times. In these first nine verses, we see the first trip up the mountain for Moses, and God gives him a message for the people. First, God wanted to remind the people of how he had saved them. Verse four, he says, you saw what I did to Egypt and how I rescued you, I bore you on eagle's wings. This reminder for them is important. It's so important to everything we're about to see because we're about to get into the section of the book that we call law. In other words, it's, it's a lot of rules. We're going to see God place some demands upon his people. But it is so important that we see the context in which God gave those laws and rules and demands. God gave the law after he saved the people. First came grace, then came law. God didn't say, hey, if you guys do what I say and you're good people, then I will rescue you out of Egypt. No, he rescued them first. And now he will call them to obey. Their obedience to God's law will take place in light of their relationship to God. We understand this. It's the same way with our kids. I don't place conditions on my children to continue being my children. Like I don't tell them. If you clean your room and you respect your mother, then you can be my son or my daughter. Because they would never be my son or my daughter if that was the case. No, it's because they're already my child that I call them to obey. They're mine. I love them no matter what. And that relationship we have is the basis for the demands I place on them to listen and obey. And that's what we see here. God wants Israel to remember first thing what He's done for them, that He saved them and redeemed them out of slavery, and that they belong to Him. Then He says in verse 5 Now therefore, We got a little pivot there. He says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Remember this idea of covenant is very important in the Bible. It's a relationship, a binding commitment between two unrelated parties. So God is saying, hey, Israel, I have formed a relationship with you. Now I'm calling you to obey and to live in light of that. Your obedience is going to make you for me two things. First, he says, you're going to be my treasured possession. Growing up, I collected baseball cards. Anybody else collect sports cards growing up? Yeah. I had a lot of different kinds of cards, various players and ones that I liked, and I'd trade with my friends and stuff. But my favorite card at the time was a Barry Bonds rookie card. And I thought for sure Barry Bonds was going to be the greatest player ever, and that that card would be worth tons of money and maybe pay for my college one day. But we know how that turned out. Uh, Didn't work out quite that way. I think today it's worth $5. Get me a burger somewhere. But, But that card... Was my treasured possession out of all the cards I owned, I valued that one the most. That is similar to what God is telling Israel here. He says, all the earth is mine. Every single person on this planet, I made them. They belong to me, but you will be my treasured possession. We know there's a sense in which every person on earth is special to God, but he chose to enter into a covenant relationship at this time with Israel in particular. Out of all the nations on the earth, they were his special people. That's exactly what God had promised Abraham. God chose Abraham out of all the people on the earth. Why did he choose him? It doesn't say. It doesn't say that Abraham was the best guy around or the smartest guy or the holiest guy. God just said, Abraham, you're going to be my people. I'm going to bless your people. I'm calling you out. Your descendants who will become a great nation are going to be my people, and through them I'm going to bless all the other nations on the earth. That's what we see with the second thing God tells Israel they will be. He says you'll be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. Those two things go together. God didn't make Israel his special treasured possession because he only loved them and only wanted to save them. He wasn't selecting them because he was just going to disregard and ignore everyone else on earth. No, God made Israel his treasured possession so that they could be his representatives to the rest of the world. That's what it means to be a priest. A priest is someone who goes before God and the people, who mediates that relationship. So God says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests all of you are going to be priests because all of you as you obey my word and you love me and you love one another you're going to represent me to the world when all the other nations on the earth look at you they're going to see me they will see people who have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another and so through you Israel as a kingdom of priests I'm going to reach and bless all the other nations on the earth that was God's goal, for the whole earth to be filled with his glory. For people from every tribe, nation, and tongue to come and worship him. And Israel was the vehicle by which he would accomplish that. So Moses, he got the message, he took it to the people, and the people said, we will obey, we'll do it. They committed themselves to God. And Moses goes back up the mountain for his second trip in this chapter. Look at verses chapter 19, verses the rest of 9 through verse 15. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Here God tells Moses that before the people can meet him, they need to be ready. Moses was to go to the people and consecrate them. We've seen that word before. To consecrate means to set apart, to make something special and holy. And this tells us that the people needed to approach God in a particular, thoughtful way. What did this entail? Well, we see three things here the people needed to do to prepare to meet God. First, he said, you need to wash your clothes. What's up with that? Does God care about clothes we wear if they're stained or dirty well remember these people have been walking through the desert No, know the, the purpose of washing the clothes was to demonstrate to the people that they needed to approach God with holiness a holiness in the Bible is often described as being clean or pure it's pictured as washing away stains that's what we see here by washing their clothes the Israelites were learning that they needed to come to God with a clean heart and a pure mind Second, Moses said you need to stand back. They set limits preventing the people from stepping even one foot on the mountain and the penalty for violating that rule was so severe it meant death instantly. Why in the world would someone die just for stepping on a mountain? One thing we see in the Bible is that God and sin don't mix. God is holy And when you try and combine God's holiness with man's sin, what you get is justice. God's justice means God must deal with sin and the wages of sin is death. That means when a sinful person comes into contact with a holy God, they end up dead. We see that here with God's presence on Mount Sinai. We'll see it again in the tabernacle and the temple. So God was actually protecting his people by telling them not to come too close. They had to approach God with a holy fear and reverence. Third thing Moses told them to do is to abstain from sexual activity. That's the meaning of verse 15. He's not just picking on women here, but he said this so that the people would be focused. Preparing to come before a holy God would require their full and complete attention. So we can see the buildup here. This is how massive this moment was for Israel. They were preparing to meet their God. The God that had redeemed them from slavery, who had made everything. And they needed to be ready for this moment. Here is that moment. Look with me at verses 16 through 20. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Can we just take a moment? Try to imagine this scene. You wake up in the morning and you hear a thunderstorm outside your tent. And you hear this loud trumpet blast and the hair on the back of your neck stands up as you realize what day it is. You hear Moses yelling, gathering all the people saying, come on, let's go. It's time to meet our God. And you walk out with all your family and your friends and your neighbors and you you take your place at the bottom of this mountain and you look up and you see the mountain is just covered with fire and there's smoke going up like a volcano has erupted. And the ground is shaking like an earthquake and you're terrified and the trumpet is getting louder and louder. And then Moses speaks and thunder answers. You don't know for sure, but you think that must be God speaking. And then all of a sudden, Moses does the unthinkable. He steps past the line and he starts walking toward the mountain. And then he starts walking up the mountain, and he doesn't die, and he doesn't fall over. He just walks. What would you take away in that moment? Well, there's at least two things that would come to your mind. Number one, you would think immediately that God is awesome. By awesome, I mean awesome, awe-inspiring you would be simultaneously terrified and also grateful that God is on your side. I mean, think of the other things you've seen in your life that have blown you away. Forces of nature like a tornado or a hurricane or a sunset or a sky filled with stars, the Grand Canyon, the ocean, you name it. God is a million times more mind-blowing than that. Is this the God you worship? And God is not an old man in a rocking chair in the sky. He's not a bright light at the end of the tunnel. This is Yahweh, the I am, the eternal, the unchangeable, the all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite God. Second thing you would take away from this scene is that Moses is the real deal. He's going up there in the middle of all that awful terror and he's going to talk to God. You would think, no doubt, that guy is our leader. Like that guy's in charge and we need to follow him. Chapter 19 ends with Moses making his third trip up the mountain. God reminds him again, tell the people, don't come close. Don't touch the mountain. And then he tells them to get Aaron and to come back up. And that's how we end this chapter. We are now ready for next week, which is going to be the giving of the Ten Commandments. It's going to be so fun. I hope you'll be back here with us. But now the people are prepared to meet with God and receive the instructions that they would call the Mosaic Law. But let's pause here this morning and consider what this means for us today to prepare to meet God. And again, I'm not talking about in death, though that's certainly a day we will all meet him and need to be prepared for. I'm talking about preparing to meet God in worship. What does that look like for us today? How should we prepare to meet this same God of Exodus chapter 19? The first thing we need to understand is that our relationship to God is different from that of the Israelites of Exodus 19. Though we have both been redeemed by him and made his people, we have a relationship with God that these people could never have even imagined. You see, this distance that Israel had from the top of the mountain to the bottom would become a normal part of their spiritual lives. That separation was the key to maintaining a relationship with God. God would come to live in their midst in the tabernacle. We'll see that in a few weeks. But again, they could not go in to the most holy place where God's presence touched earth. They were required to offer sacrifices just to have God's presence in their midst. And the temple, when that would be built, it functioned in the same way. Again, no one could go into the most holy place where God was except the high priest one day a year. And there was a veil that separated the people from God at all times because of their sin and his holiness. But when Jesus came, things changed. That separation began to close in a dramatic way. Jesus, they said, was named Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was the fullness of God in human flesh, living and walking among sinful people. Jesus was God coming off the mountain and crossing over the line to us. See, God knew we could never get to him on our own because of our sins, so he came to us. And on the cross, Jesus died by taking our sin upon himself, He satisfied God's justice by paying our sin debt. And the moment he died, it says the veil in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. That symbolized that the separation between God and man was now no more. A holy God and a sinful man could now safely be in relationship again. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, here's what the author of Hebrews says. And I want you to look at this on the screen. I want you to notice the difference between this and what we just read in Exodus 19. This is Hebrews 10. It says, Therefore, brothers, this is Christians, followers of Jesus, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you see that? We have confidence to enter the holy places. That word confidence is not a word we saw in Exodus 19. People there, they were trembling, they were terrified, but now you and me, we have confidence to come before God. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Jesus opened a way for us through the curtain. He is now our great high priest, seated at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. And that concept is huge the idea of Jesus as our intercessor. Because remember, sinful people cannot enter the presence of God on their own. A few weeks ago, I got to go over here to the Garmin headquarters. And have lunch with our new member, Kevin, one of the Kevins. I can't decide if he's Kevin 1 or Kevin 2 yet. But he's worked there for 26 years. And believe it or not, they wouldn't just let me walk into their building. I told them, I said, look, I'm a pastor. They said, yeah, you're not not smart enough um, to come in here. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm kidding. They didn't say that. But, you know, I had to go in. I had to be checked by security. And they took my driver's license. And they gave me a name tag and a badge to wear around my neck. And on the badge, it said, do not take any photos or videos, do not share any confidential information, as if I had some confidential information to share, and stay with your escort at all times. So there was Kevin. He was my guide. And he took me around the building. He showed me a great tour. And, you know, on the way, several of the doors we came to were locked. And when I went to scan my visitor badge, the light turned red. Door stayed locked. Couldn't go through. But when Kevin scanned his badge, the light turned green. And he took me right through wherever we needed to go. He was a wonderful tour guide. That is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. See, because of our sin, we don't have the right badge that gets us into God's presence. But Jesus says, hey, they're with me. Come on in. And as our great high priest, Jesus ushers us into the presence of God. That's why Hebrews 10, go back to there. He says, we can now draw near, near. We don't stand back behind the tape. We draw near in full assurance of faith, not wondering if is God gonna accept me or not? Is he gonna kill me or not? Am I gonna make it? No, he says, we have clean, not clean clothes, but clean hearts that are sprinkled clean and bodies washed with pure water. As followers of Jesus, we now know God as our Father. We can come into his presence and worship any time. We don't need a mountain or a temple. We can commune with God personally at home and corporately as a church, and we need both. And in these last few minutes we have together, I want us to think about how we prepare to meet with God together as a church. I want to take three truths just really quick that we see from Exodus 19 give you three ways that you can prepare for Sunday morning worship. Here's the first. Number one, to prepare to worship, you must commit. You must commit. It's the first thing we saw God's people do. Moses brought the message down and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do it. They were committing themselves to worship God in obedience to whatever he asked of them. And we have to come to worship with the same mindset today. So often we come to worship with a mindset of receiving instead of giving. We wonder what the worship service will have for us today. And we gauge the service's success on whether or not we like the songs or thought the preacher addressed the things we think he needs to address. Can you imagine Israel doing that at Mount Sinai? Like After all God had done in saving them, can you imagine if they stood before that mountain and they said, we will worship you, but what's in it for us? What are we going to get out of this experience? Will the music be any good? Will there be good coffee in the lobby? Will you have any fun things for my kids? The people, they saw God in all his holiness and his power, and they realized that that was not about them. They knew the whole thing was about God's greatness and worshiping him as all creation should. That's what we must commit to do when we show up on Sunday morning. We need that mindset of, hey, I don't know what songs they're going to sing, what the message is going to be about. I don't know what God is going to do, but I'm going to receive whatever he has for me. I don't want anything else. I just want God. So before I ever even step in the door, I commit myself to you, Lord. Whatever you have for me today, I want it. Here's the second thing we need to do on Sunday mornings. Number two, you must prepare. we got to prepare. It's the second thing Israel did. They spent two days preparing themselves before they would meet with God. They were to ensure that nothing would get in the way or distract them from him. Is that the way you approach worship on Sunday morning? I think for many of us, and I include my family in that, it's often the opposite. We spend Saturday morning running wide open from sports events to get-togethers to errands to yard work. We stay up late Saturday night. We sleep in a little on Sunday morning. We drag everyone out of bed, eat something really quick, scream at each other in the car, whip into the parking lot, and barely make it in the door on time. And then we sit down in our seat and we say, all right, God, I'm here to worship you. (laughs) And how does that go? Again, I'm speaking from personal experience. It takes intentional effort by me to focus my heart and my mind to worship God. Like, I can't phone this in. When I expend all my energy on everything else and then I come in here on Sunday and I just give God my leftovers, I miss what God has for me. So I want to challenge you to think seriously about what it might look like for you to to begin preparing for Sunday worship on Saturday. A pastor I follow, he always says this. He says, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision can't wait till Sunday morning to try to figure it out. you got to start on Saturday. you got to get home early Saturday night. Get in bed on time. Set your clothes out. Pick out your breakfast. Don't let Satan use anything to derail you. And then give yourself enough time on Sunday where you can turn off the news and put away your phone and just enjoy the morning. Meet with God. Focus your heart and then get here early enough where you can serve and fellowship and prepare to worship once we've committed and prepared, here's the third and last thing we need to do. Number three, you must behold. This was the final thing we saw of Israel in this passage. Israel beheld the greatness of God and they were changed. That's what worship is. It's simply to behold God in all his glory and be changed by him. And again, this is a mindset. We don't show up to church looking to make God happy or to get a gold star for the week. We don't show up to check a box or to please a spouse or a mom or dad. And We don't show up because, oh, that's what good people do. That's what we've always done. That's just what we do. We come to church because we've been radically saved by Jesus. We already have his grace and mercy and love because of what Christ has done, and we show up because where else would we be? We worship not out of obligation, but out of delight for this is what we were made for. We need this reorientation every Sunday where we take our heart and we say, okay, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. This is why I exist. This is what's truly important. So this morning, as we stand here, not at the foot of a mountain looking up, but right here in God's presence, seeing the glory of God in Jesus Christ, having a personal relationship with him through his son. Are you prepared to meet God? Are you prepared to behold him in worship? Don't miss this opportunity. Today may be the last day we ever get to do this right here. Would you bow your head with me?